Hello, and thank you for tuning into our podcast series, Talent Up, Elevating Leaders. In this episode, we're joined by a special guest, Mark Markram. Mark is the Group Human Resources Director for the Food Equipment Segment at Illinois Toolworks, or ITW. He is a seasoned HR leader with international experience, having lived and worked in South Africa, Italy, and the U.S. Mark also supported operations in Europe, Asia, and Latin America. Beyond global HR management, Mark's skills include executive coaching, matrix team leadership, executive level recruitment, change management, and team effectiveness facilitation. Because he's such a strong advocate for onboarding an ITW, our managing partner, Dr. Linda Reese, called Mark recently to get his perspective on how companies can best support executives moving into new roles. During their conversation, Mark detailed how he gained buy-in from the leaders at ITW to expand their onboarding program, and he shared the success that followed. Well, first of all, Mark, welcome, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, We see you as an expert in internal onboarding, and I'm really curious about what attracted you to that work in the first place. Well, I would say initially my own experiences uh, related to moving into different roles. I've been fortunate enough to move into sort of various HR leadership roles in South Africa, where I started my career, then in Italy, as well as moving to the United States. So some of those experiences were moving into, of course, different roles, but also different countries and having to navigate a whole set of challenges, if you like. Thinking about my personal excitement of moving into a new role, you know, almost in the form of a a reset. And, you know, we always have these ideas of what we're going to do and how successful we're going to be. We create these pictures. But then also, you know, the lows that come with navigating a new and complex environment And often I found in moving into these new roles, there was very limited support. You know, we all know what it's like landing in a new city. Traveling is exciting. And if you have a map and you've got your GPS on your phone, you feel so much better about knowing how to navigate where you're going to go. But imagine landing in that city without the GPS, without the map. And that's where navigating the most important part of the next few years in that role, and that's the beginning, becomes very difficult. Secondly, the realization that in order to realistically fulfill both company expectations and my own excitement of a new role, I found that the foundation needed to be really firmly set in the first 12 months. And this is critical for many reasons. The concept of building a foundation is almost self-explaining. Picture a foundation of a building and think about each brick in that foundation and imagine what would happen if at least half or even more of those bricks were of poor quality from the start. How high do you think that building would get before it starts to collapse? Now then think about onboarding and think about the process of engaging and building relationships with all your key stakeholders that are necessary for you to be successful. Well, if those key stakeholders, metaphorically speaking, came in the form of a brick in a new construction, 
the onboarding process is designed to ensure the integrity of those bricks is solid. Because if you fail as part of building your foundation to build the really important relationships in the first 12 to 18 months, you're going to have a real challenge to establish yourself for the long term and be successful in your new role. Thirdly, a personal interest and excitement of seeing talented folks successfully navigate the perilous nature of moving into a new role. The fact that you know you can see what happens when folks fail or are not successful in a new role and the impact that has on the organization around them and the idea that I or the organization can really do something that's tangible and practical and effective to mitigate that risk is really um, what it boils down for me. Thank you, Mark. Is there anything specifically about onboarding that has kept you really interested over the last 10 years that you've been practicing? Simply put, the fact that it works, that it's a key organizational development process that mitigates the high risk of failure in placing strong talent that is really hard to find in the market. The fact that there's a business case that you know, if we can show through our process and our practice that we can mitigate and improve the likelihood of success of a new leader coming on board, and the fact that, of course, you can determine what the cost of failure is, that's really powerful as well. You know, the cost of failure really runs exceptionally high. And if we can do one of two things, in fact, hopefully both of them, increase the speed of a new leader to become effective and productive and to engage with and bring their team on board to start affecting the change that we're hoping they're going to bring, and then to ensure that that person is successful and stays, really makes for a compelling business case. Let me just add one additional piece there. There's the business case and the fact that we can make a difference. But also, I would say in this day and age with the high competition for talent, um, during the interviewing process, I have found that it's a really strong company sell when you are able to articulate to a new or a potential new candidate the extent to which we will go to support them and ensure their success. You know, every candidate sitting in front of you is evaluating you and your company is trying to get a sense for support of new talent and trying to get a sense of and measure the extent to which they believe they will be able to be successful and realize their own hopes and dreams of coming into a new role. If we can articulate how we've thought through that well in advance and the measures that we're going to take to support them, that really helps with the decision-making process for that new leader. So it sounds like you see onboarding as a powerful recruitment tool as well as a tool to ramp people up quickly. I know that when you first encountered the world of onboarding at work, um, you were instrumental in laying the foundation for gaining support in your company. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done to gain support from your own boss as you were trying to introduce new ideas and tools into the organization? 
Yeah, sure. Well, right now I can say that I'm very fortunate that I have a leader that is a strong believer in and and advocate for onboarding. You know, I have a, a leader that would much rather look at what we as an organization have not done. If somebody fails early in their tenure, we're more likely to want to know what is it that we could have controlled that we failed to do so then try and come up with the typical excuses that is, oh, well, we must have missed something in the interview, or, oh, it was probably not just a good fit, or, you know, there was something that we missed. So um, it's a really strong leadership trait if you're able to be proactive around the onboarding process, as well as the whole talent development process. Of course, it's not always been the case that I've had a boss that's sort of really been an advocate until, of course, um, we've put in place the practices and the processes and the results and the outcomes start speaking for themselves. So how do you get your boss on board? I think is really laying out the concept, providing the business case and starting a pilot, you know, pick a couple of key roles. And it's sort of at this stage that I would say engaging with and, and this is what we did. We engaged with Linda Reese yourself from leader onboarding, and we got the support from external coaches to go through the process with a couple of very key hires in the organization. And it was really the results, the tangible experiences that everybody had as part of the process that allowed establishing leader onboarding as a practice to speak for itself. Thank you, Mark. That's appreciated. Sometimes it's the operational leader that is the early decision maker in whether onboarding is a practice that should be put in place to support new leaders. And I'm wondering what kind of suggestions you have or what kind of experiences you've had in gaining support from operational leaders who may be the hiring managers for these new leaders that you're supporting. So coming when I came into ITW, certainly I was able to start talking about and introducing the concept of new leader onboarding and and sort of educating and articulating what that means beyond fairly typical practice that I would say that, you know, everybody would say they do onboarding and people that I speak to and I say, oh, do you do onboarding? With the answer, of course we do. And I say, well, please describe your process. Typically, that would be, you know, sort of a two-week to a month meet and greet program, a fairly detailed, well-laid-out calendar with key stakeholders identified, and essentially, the new leader is left to their own devices over the next while to, you know, at least pitch up to those meetings, have the conversations, and get to know whoever it is they're expected to. And I often think that you know, operational leaders may lack awareness as to the additional depth that one can go and should go when supporting a new hire come on board. The other part of that is is really bringing the HR partners up to speed as to what leader onboarding is all about. And the other part is writing it into our talent management process. We obviously have a talent acquisition process and we have our leadership development process. And I think, you know, that onboarding piece is part of the talent acquisition and writing it into the process and then really supporting the change with training, education, 
certainly one or two pilots. And if you follow that methodology, the results and the experience that new leaders have, that sort of speaks for itself. And it doesn't take long for everybody in the organization to see the value. I know you've been an HR leader within a a number of global organizations, and I'm just curious about in what ways leader onboarding is universally relevant. I would say from personal experience, onboarding into a new role, be it in South Africa or Italy or the U.S., has had its challenges, which are all very similar. You know, you'll move into an organization. I think most organizations, again, have the meet and greet process. And I don't see the challenges in terms of what you experience as a new leader as being terribly different. Certainly, there are cultural norms that you need to be aware of. But I would say that the cultural challenges are typically organizational. And by that, I mean the culture of an organization and you know what they see as their norms and how they behave and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable you know understanding that the onboarding process is about trying to support a new leader in understanding the lay of the land as quickly as possible so they can be effective as quickly as possible and that would apply in any country and quite frankly any organization And the nuances then related are are more organizational, I would say. Okay, so is it fair to say that local culture of companies may have some role in onboarding, but it's going to be a smaller role than the organizational culture itself? Yeah, I, I would say that. Culturally speaking, and again, this could apply anywhere in my experience, is the extent to which a new leader or or new leaders feel they need help. You know, uh, sometimes you might talk to a new leader about the extent to which we're going to help them, and they might say, "Well, is there a confidence challenge that you're trying to express to me?" And and that's where one potentially needs to be sensitive um, in one environment versus another, as well as the idea that maybe part of the onboarding plan would include. Folks that are in a lower pay grade, participating in the training of the new leader, participating in providing support and information, and maybe culturally in that environment, you know, everybody expects the leader to have the answer. So th- those are the sort of nuances one needs to be sort of sensitive to. But again, I'd say that that could be any country or any business environment that you find that. Mark, what are some of the costs that you've encountered around new leader derailment, whether it's financial or whether it's another kind of impact? Well, there are the obvious costs. You know, when you're recruiting a, a new leader, what are you paying these days? 25 to 35, 40% of annual salary. So if you have somebody who is not successful, that's just an upfront cost that you lose. Of course, there is some sort of agreement with recruiters where you can possibly relaunch um, if the person leaves within a certain period of time. I would say the, the real challenges are where you have the cost of disruption to business performance. While the new leader gets up to speed, typically you sort of give a lot of opportunity for that person to make mistakes and learn as they're going. So you probably don't expect too much in the first three to six months. 
But if the person then starts derailing in role or is unsuccessful because of behavior or competence or for whatever reason, there's the lost productivity over a longer period of time that comes into play. Of course, low team morale and the low performance that comes as a result of that is another, I would say, hidden cost uh, that we sometimes don't really account for. If this process continues, sometimes companies don't want to take action too soon, and you could be um, one to two years down the line. And there you start seeing team turnover rates increase, and um, there you start facing, again, the lost productivity that team members would be providing to the organization, but also the cost of replacement there as well. It's difficult to be able to isolate the cost of a specific leader failing, but I also know there's sort of industry guidelines where it can cost up to, you know, twice a leader's annual salary for them to fail and need to be replaced. One of the things that I wanted to ask is, you know, your approach towards onboarding high value hires. You spend a lot of time, a lot of energy and organizational resources on people who are, you know, strategically important or who may face more onboarding risk and you really want to give more support to them. What kinds of tools have you used that you've found to be useful? Certainly in terms of assessing risk, uh, leader onboarding has a, a really nice matrix where depending on whether it's an internal placement within a function or department um, where there's already a knowledge around the area and the environment and the culture, would potentially be a low risk, but then you can sort of escalate that depending on whether it's moving into a new role in a different function, a new company, moving one company to another company. You can look at risks associated with uh, change in geography and so on. So, so using that template to get a sense of how big the risk is, is very helpful. When we do have you know, high-risk placements, we would use a really fantastic tool called Culture Snapshot. That's sort of an assessment of the local culture that the leader is moving into. It's based off the Denison culture model, but it's really sort of reduced down for the critical elements that would give a new leader a good sense of the environment that they're moving into. Of course, there's an opportunity for the new leader to provide their own assessment. You would typically do this, you know, any time after a new leader is joined, it could be two weeks, three weeks, a month. You can do it even before a new leader arrives. That would just be excluding the new leader's assessment of the environment. But without going too much into the mechanics, the culture snapshots really provides input from all key stakeholders as to what the environment is like, what's working, what's not working, with commentary. And, and this is the best form of sort of map or GPS you can get, in my opinion, as you sort of arrive in that new city, that you've got it all laid out, and there's all of the sort of input that you would need without having to try and figure it out all on your own. And, and this tool itself facilitates processes like team alignment meetings, which are also very helpful in enabling a new leader to come on board. Then at the individual level, one of the elements that I think is really important for a new leader is to get feedback sooner rather than later. 
which is typically not the case. Um, we would always give new leaders a good number of months to sort of work through the so-called honeymoon period before we are willing to actually speak to the person and uh, give feedback, especially negative feedback. We might say, hey, great job, you did that well. And when we might be fairly forthcoming with uh, reinforcement and positive feedback. But when it comes to providing the input on potential blind spots, input on where they might be sort of going outside of the cultural norms that are in place, the sort of unseen, unheard cultural norms, um, that feedback's typically missing. And we use the level set feedback tool pretty early, around the 60-day mark, because everybody has already got an opinion at 60 days. And we want to capture that opinion and provide that feedback through the 360, the level set tool, so that the new leaders, one, will understand, will be able to identify those blind spots, but two, can put in place a mitigation plan to go and address that with the various stakeholders before those stakeholders have sort of solidified their opinions, if you like. Um, because if you leave it for six months, by then, everyone believes that's who the new leader is and the chances of sort of going back and, you know, leopard changing their spots, so to speak, uh, becomes very difficult. So the impressions they've created have pretty much been cemented into place by that time, it sounds like. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So while it's still an assumption or an impression that is malleable, get that feedback as quickly as possible so that new leader can really put in place remedies that would change those impressions. So it sounds like, you know, early insight into leaders' operation and also feedback about how effectively they're navigating is important because they gain insight and they may change direction or add some behaviors or build some relationships based on what they hear. You know, one thing, Mark, that we've found that's really interesting is, is that when leaders participate in something like the Culture Snapshot or the Level Set Survey, we often see comments from their stakeholders that say, yes, this person is committed to the organization and the fact that they're doing this is evidence of that. And so it's sort of an unintended positive consequence that reaching out for feedback seems to make other people more confident in the new leader themselves. Have you seen examples of that? Yeah, I get that comment really often. And actually, you can reinforce this with a new leader when there are some blind spots that need to be addressed. With the fact that we're providing the feedback and that if a blind spot or two or, or a, an adjustment in behavior is required, it's what that leader then does with it that's so important. And I think this is where the coaching, so one is the feedback tools, which are very robust and comprehensive. Two is the, is the actual coaching process. And this is really where the new leader who's still finding his or her feet um, is not yet really overly confident that they know everything they should. And then, of course, you provide sometimes quite strong negative feedback. And, and there's this sense of, oh, my gosh, am, am I going to be successful? You know, from a coaching perspective, the extent to which we're able to support that leader in having the courage to receive the feedback, see it as a gift, see it in a positive and constructive light, because whether they know about it or not, it's there, right? And this is an opportunity to mitigate sooner rather than later, and then supporting the new leader through the process of being vulnerable, admitting that 
Uh, they've received feedback that they didn't expect and articulating what they're going to do to make the adjustments, assuming they agree that they need to make those adjustments, and then asking for help. So you sort of almost go beyond just the feedback that people are impressed with initially, but it's the follow-up and then saying, this is what I plan to do and how I'm planning to adjust, continue to give me feedback. So in fact, after the 360, folks say, oh, feedback is okay. Even if negative, I can provide that as and when required because my new leader is making an effort to adjust when they get that feedback. Thank you, Mark. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was that, you know, really getting buy-in from the organization um, about the value of onboarding sometimes means starting small and doing a little pilot work and then, you know, sort of inviting people in as their interest level increases. And I know that you've been very successful at gaining support across ITW. And I'm wondering if you can tell us or give us an estimate of how many HR people inside ITW are currently qualified in level set or culture snapshot or some other form of onboarding? Off the top of my head, I would probably estimate around 15 to 20 HR professionals. It could be more because I think it's sort of taken on a life of its own that I'm not tracking. Um, But certainly in the food equipment segment, uh, all of our HR folks are trained in being able to provide uh, level set feedback. And as we onboard new HR folks supporting their divisions, um, we train those folks as well. What we found from the initial work we started, oh goodness, it must be five, six years ago in ITW, is that we we needed to train more HR folks because um, the demand stroke need uh, and interest in providing that feedback uh, was such that we we needed more feet on the street, so to speak. Uh, Another interesting thing um, about our company and its structure is that our divisions are all standalone businesses and they have their own HR directors that support their local business. Uh, The the, the nice thing and the the fortunate scenario that we have is that uh, we can have HR directors doing onboarding and level set feedback for uh, new leaders and other divisions as well. So that's proven to be a successful model for us. That's really interesting. I think you're aware that our ultimate goal is to build onboarding capacity internally to organizations so that they can manage and implement all the pieces that you've described and whatever more they add to it. Mark, are there times when you think that external coaching or support is a more appropriate solution than internal? Yeah. So certainly I think establishing the concept and, you know, a good initial experience with onboarding, I I would always go external. I would sort of want to bring the practice into the organization, introduce it to leadership, and choose a couple of key roles that would benefit uh, because doing the risk assessment, you realize it's high. Certainly, once we've established an in-house practice, and by the way, I thought this was fantastic, and your willingness to support us in creating that in-house capability was really outstanding. Um, But once you've established that practice and you do a risk assessment and you start getting at the the real senior level, sometimes the new incumbent or the person who's, who's being promoted internally would be more comfortable with somebody from outside, someone who will 
be getting sometimes very sensitive feedback information that they want to feel confident about the privacy thereof. So it's a combination of individuals who would prefer external support, as well as sometimes you get a risk profile that, you know, as as competent as our HR folks are internal, um, this is part of their generalist HR role. And of course, leader onboarding, that's all that you do and you're specialists in that space. So when you need the specialist, that's the time to go external. Well, and the thing I would add to what you said, Mark, is, is that even using externals, especially when you have a robust internal process, it's so important that there be connectivity and partnership with all the people who are supporting the leader's transition. And certainly, even with an external coach, there's a strong role for the HR partner in the process. Just I'm curious, you've been supporting new leaders and transitioning into their roles for, I guess it's over 10 years now, right? Yeah, amazing. What are some of the most important things you've learned, Mark, as you've been on that journey? Well, it's been fairly recent over the last couple of years that that I've realized that when a new leader comes on board, we almost make it all about them. And in fact, it's like a, a heart transplant, a new, a new organ being transplanted into a new body, that everything uh, and everybody around that new leader is going through their own onboarding as well. And, and I like to call it as that, because all direct reports have to adjust to a new leader, how that new leader operates, how that new leader does things. And key stakeholders have to adjust to a new, you know, a, a new way of thinking. Of course, we want to always try and ensure a culture fit. However, we also value diversity and we value difference of opinion. And bringing that into an organization or into a new role has an impact. There certainly is a ripple. And um, if we fail to consider at an individual level, um, especially those in, in direct contact with the new leader, the impact on them and have some sort of mitigation plan for those folks, we sometimes miss the boat. And and there's a number of scenarios like the potential rival, the person who wanted that person's job, or many other sort of scenarios where we, we just need to have a plan in place for those folks. Um, so that, that's been the biggest learning for me. And, and that means your, your onboarding plan is not just for your new leader. You start having sort of sub plans for each of the others in the organization and well, as well. And, and that's always been very well accepted. Mark, I have a question for you about those stakeholders. Hmm. You know, you've talked about a variety of stakeholders. I'm curious about one important stakeholder in the process, and that's the hiring manager. Some are very experienced at putting new leaders in roles and understanding how to support onboarding. Some of them are newer to this way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Some may have expectations for the leader that don't match the expectations that the leader has for what the role is. How do you work with the hiring manager specifically when you're supporting transitions and you want to align them? Yeah. You know, Depending on, on the experience that a hiring manager has with the concept of a much deeper onboarding process, if you like, as well as all those additional considerations that go with it, you know, the education part, uh, sitting down and, and really workshopping through what onboarding is and then establishing an understanding, establishing and, and coaching around why it's important. And then we get into 
the establishing of a solid onboarding plan. But I, I would say your HR person, um, who is your onboarding advocate, ultimately hiring managers become onboarding advocates because really the success depends to a large extent on your hiring manager. Uh, but the, the HR partner would follow a process of gaining real role clarity. So, you know, we can point out failure modes of the onboarding process, trying to encourage people to, you know, maybe get early wins where it's unreasonable to expect that, you know, especially if a person is coming into a, a role that's newly created, which is unclear, you know, the coaching of the hiring manager around the importance of role clarity uh, is, is key. I, I think probably one of the bigger de derailers that we see is not a lack of capability, it's a lack of role clarity. So this is where, you know, the, the hiring manager needs to be coached around clearer is better. The more clear we can be, roles, accountability, clarity, how the new role interacts with all other roles that, that are expected and so on. So stepping back a little bit and just summarizing it, depending on the experience that the hiring manager has, the, the HR partner can facilitate a lot of the process in putting together the onboarding plan. Thanks, Mark. That's really helpful. So as we wrap up today, I'm wondering what advice you might share with our audience of onboarding practitioners. If they are either embarking on a new journey or already, you know, doing this work to some extent, what words of wisdom would you share with them? Quite often, if I stand up in front of a group of folks to talk about onboarding and, and introduce it to them, if I've got 20 or 30 people in the room and I ask the question, who has changed role in the last year? Obviously, quite a number of hands goes up. And you ask, who is recruiting a new person into the organization at the moment? Or who has recruited somebody into their organization? Ultimately, almost all of the hands in the room will be up after a couple of questions around either recruiting into new roles or moved into new roles and so on. And then you say, who went through a robust onboarding process that was from sort of nine months to 18 months with all key stakeholders being part of that? And, and the amount of hands that go up in the room are, are very few. So what, the advice I would say is learn about onboarding, understand the importance of onboarding, um, reach out to Leader Onboarding and Linda Reese because that's where you're going to find a lot of resources. Uh, a great book that, um, you know, a lot of what I've learned, uh, The Myth of Fit, um, will contain a lot of that information that I've been speaking to already. I think it's just such an important organizational development process that any organization that doesn't have it is lacking something and the extent to which you can improve that would be very helpful. Mark, thank you so much. This has been fascinating and we really appreciate your thought leadership today. And we're glad you could join us. You're more than welcome. It was a pleasure for me as well. We hope you gained something from this interview with our friend and colleague, Mark Markram, and we appreciate you taking time to listen. 
To learn more about how you can improve your company's onboarding outcomes, visit our site at www.leaderonboarding.com. While there, you can also order our book, The Myth of Fit, Unlock New Leader Success with High Impact Onboarding. For our next podcast, I will talk with our assessment practice leader and senior coach, Stephanie Henderson. We'll discuss how new leaders can build credibility while onboarding into their role. We hope you can join us.